Welcome to Money and Tank, episode 69, I believe. Oh, nice. So, uh, so I'll leave this out. Um, but Arnie here, two little schoolboys still giggling. Um, <laughs> over here in uh, over here in Fiji. Um, so we thought we'd crack and have another one for episode uh, seventy, where we're going to be bringing a special guest. Um, how are you, for Arnie? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Just a little bit under the weather, but you know, traveling well. How are you? I'm good, doing good. Off to, back to Singapore tomorrow. Um, wrapping up a big business trip here. We'll probably talk about it on one of the pods for uh, we might call it uh, business opportunities in the Pacific. Um, Ooh. where yeah. in the world is Brad? Probably San- Santa Bona. Oh, mm-hmm. Santa Bona. <laughs> Santa Bona. <laughs> I forgot our old segment. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, today we're gonna we're just gonna be talking shop really um, about kind of what's been going on in the world. We got some news out of um, the US or rumors around uh, some some banks and some liquidity issues around treasuries. There, we got to talk about the treasuries, ten year yields, um, some secret documents got leaked uh, from the RBA. We'll talk about that and some interesting information there. Um, of course, we've got Nate Rufkin's up front. So we're gonna have a fifty fifty, a bit of a quick fire news. Um, but basically, just an all round uh, quick catch up. And uh, summary of the news for uh, for everybody, and hopefully, kind of get it done in a express format. But whenever we say that, it generally goes out to about fifty six minutes. So um, <laughs> we'll try and do know, a quick one, but try and try and do a quick one. But at the same time, we do like to uh, explain things and get people across some uh, complex stuff going on around the world because uh, it's very important to kind of uh, keep a you know open eyes to kind of what's going on around the world. But before further ado, I guess the official. Uh, Kind of introductions, Brad's of our own uh, investor and startup guy, and to my left, Arnie, finance professional. And uh, Arnie, where can people find us before we jump into the roof? You can get us at Main and Tank on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and x.com. Is that X that kills me a little bit each day? I, I was so used to, I was so used to like throwing Twitter in there. Like I have to say, <laughs> I have to yeah, pause like x.com. This is hard. Especially when you're searching, doesn't come up with the same results that Twitter comes up with. I still use Twitter. Um, bad luck <laughs> Elon for there for a while until he grabs that. Uh, it's going to be very hard to grab the ranking with X um, and to own X. But hey, uh, it's Elon. Flies to Mars. Um, Rivkins, I think one can achieve a very pleasant lifestyle by treating human beings, fellow human beings, very well. We were touching one from the Riv, um, as opposed to some of these more boisterous, materialistic ones. But, uh, I would summarize this trip actually in the Pacific, and I'd summarize Fiji as a place that, uh, people treat each other well. And, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, good business that can be, um, we had you don't have to be a shark and uh and be the only winner there's a few win-wins out there that's my uh my two cents on it arnie your two cents no oh, spot on mate manners cost nothing treat everyone with respect treat everyone well and uh you know get put put out good karma and get good karma back yeah let's actually really really quickly extend on that only because uh a guy that i really, really respect one of my brothers over in singapore nick um he actually had this conversation with me yesterday. He said, why are manners so rare? He's like, he introduced me to somebody and I've been helping them out. And he's like, 
he had a conversation with them and he's like, not even one thank you for an introduction. He's like, I don't expect anything, but I know how much you've been helping them out and not even like a cheers for introducing that person. Um, I was saying to him, like, you know, sometimes people are too busy, which they should never forget because uh, it doesn't take too much. Um, we had a bit of a discussion around societal or do you get brought up with it or do you just naturally have it? I think I think it has to be sociological, like manners are taught. Um, I definitely think they have eroded, I think, for a number of reasons. Mm. Like this is a, so that's such a big topic we could delve into, but it's... Uh, I think like I think it just takes reminding as well, and it, and it's hard because you don't want to offend anyone either. So when you remind someone, like in that example you just said, it would be hard to sort of say to the person without them feeling hurt or um, on the back foot or or embarrassed. It'd be hard mm. you know, for your mate to say, "Well, you could have said thank you," and then they'd be like, "Oh, I'm an asshole." So I don't know. It's just I think it's just really like I try and keep it at the forefront of my mind when dealing with anyone that. Just be polite. You don't Mate, know what other people are going through. So, yeah. I say thanks for giving people that probably don't even deserve thanks. That's how far I extend it just to make sure that it happens. There's nothing <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing bad going to happen for making people feel good. <laughs> my, my wife always makes fun of me because when, when we're in the car, whether like it doesn't matter what's going on, if I'm going past another car and they if, if they give way to me like in, on a small road or I give way to them, I'm always throwing the wave out. Throwing the wave. Like, what are you Kate, like, she's always like, what are you doing? Like, they they meant to wave at you in that zone. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm just covering all bases. Just wave, just wave to everybody. <laughs> it's a simple, simple thing. That's why you call Arnie the Gent. Right? So uh, you got the reputation of Arnie the Gent from waving. Um, so, look, we could dive into that, but we won't. Um, but, yeah, basically, uh, TLDR, just be nice. Doesn't cost anything. Gets you exactly. a long way. I've had a ton of favours done for me over the last three weeks here in Fiji and introductions. Just purely from over the last two years visiting this place, being nice to people, suddenly so get introduced, get introductions to foreign ministers and diplomats and all sorts of people that are going to make business a lot easier. And literally, it's just from meeting some people along the way and just being nice. <laughs> so being nice pays right. off. Um, Rifkin was all over it. Rifkin, sly dog. Look at him. <laughs> he's, he's all over it, the sly dog. Uh, let's, uh, let's quickly rip, let's talk wait. about let's talk about yields. Yeah, yeah, yields. yields. So real. Real interest rate rises. The ten-year, the ten-year Treasury yield in America uh, hit a sixteen or seventeen-year high, the highest since two thousand and seven, I believe, four point eight one percent overnight. And that was after last week it closed at, I think, the low on Friday of last week was four point five percent. So it's a huge jump that we're seeing here, and it's causing some pain and some turmoil in the markets like you had did you have the figures there for what the major indices what happened to them yeah so you had um at one point i'm gonna say uh the dow was down uh dow was down more than 1.5 percent but sank down it, it finished off at 1.26 um you had the under out here before uh so the dow climbed that uh the nasdaq was 1.46 and the S&P 1.37. So, I mean, you know, all round about 1.5% down um, on the news of, I guess, people. And, you know, why, I guess, why does high yield um, or the highest yields for 10-year treasuries uh, spook market? What, what, are the, uh, what are the ramifications for the tankers? 
There's a well, there's a few different things. I can't remember if we spoke about this last time we chatted, and it's been a while. But did we speak about the neutral rate? I think I think we might have. You we did I, when maybe. we started talking about some of the other problems that have happened in the past with, with treasuries or and some stuff over yeah. in um over in the UK and the rest of it. But well, I think one, real one quickly, moving, one moving, yeah, one moving part is that real interest rates are rising. So if inflation is has been going up and down and it hit a peak, right? Like if you had have said that prior to all of our inflation, if um we had inflation at uh two percent target or whatever, but yields are at four percent, then real interest rates would be two percent. That's basically what's occurring now, but we've got inflation a lot higher. So they're having to lift the yields and the the real interest rates higher. Um and it basically just means that the neutral rate, which would have been like there's no way to directly know what it was, but if it, say for argument's sake it was it used to sit long term around two percent, now that's potentially gone a bit higher. So they're mm. having to raise these yields or these rates to try and yeah get it up out of inflation. Otherwise, you're having in real terms like a a loss. I think I explained that poorly. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one potential. I think one thing is also market. showing that like the ten year. Yield is an indication that people think that probably inflation is going to be here for a longer amount of time. Because if you're demanding a higher inflation, sorry, a higher return on an instrument over ten years, you are predicting that you need higher because you're not you're not um, attracted to a lower yield um, because you think that, you know you might get eaten away during that period with inflation as well. That's that's uh, a better way to explain it. You're saying that because real interest rates, if you subtract the inflation. The Fed thinks it's going to take those real higher rates to wrestle inflation back down to the target level, which they've said in America is two percent, and our own Reserve Bank has said between two and three. So that's that you just summarise that much better than so, I yeah. Basically, look, it's the markets turning around saying, "I think inflation is going to be higher for longer," unfortunately, and that you haven't got inflation necessarily totally under control back to the two and three level, and that it's probably going to average out at you know more like three or four. Um, or in five over the, over the period of the next ten years is what the kind of uh, my my read on it is. But that's big markets, right? You've got you know stocks that are you know got debt longer, you know longer term higher interest rates mean higher debt payments means lower growth generally means growth stocks are valued lower. It means a ramification of of things. It means there's probably going to be more stress on households and sales. Um, you know, there's a lot to kind of there's a lot of um, very smart people <laughs> that uh, buy these ten year, <laughs> like you know, the, the quantum of uh, these ten year ten year uh, bonds. Um, the probably can guess economics better than us, but again, we know Joel's opinion on economists and all these sort of people. Um, again, it's just a it's just a data point. I'll speak for you, Joel, even though you're not here, mate. Yeah, thank you for the <laughs> but look, look, markets react and uh, these sort of things happen. Um, and I guess, you know, if we want to talk about kind of uh, some household stuff going on, I don't know if people saw in the news. It was in the news and it was out of the news pretty quickly. It was quite uh, quite interesting one. I've sent the article to, uh, to Arnie today. Still up. Um, but it was kind of like the number one article on a number of news websites in Australia. And then within about three to four hours, uh, <laughs> the article was uh, not even a headline, which was very interesting. But um, basically, secret RBA documents reveal even high-income middle-class Aussies are in financial crisis. And so 
First thing I've what got leaked um, was a number of briefings and emails um, inside the Reserve Bank of Australia's Financial Stability Division, um, where they've met with the National Debt Helpline, a resource offering those who need access to free financial counselling. Um, and basically engaging with the service is often a requirement of banks when borrowers are unable to meet some or all of their home loan payments. But look, and then they, anyone in distress can seek help. And um, notes from the briefing sent as confidential internal memo to analysts at the central bank have been released under the Freedom of Information. So not really leaked, um, more like the <laughs> Freedom of Information Act. I like how they use leaked and then, you know, you find out halfway through the article that it was a Freedom of Information. But at the end of the day, someone smart got hold of the memo and the information. And uh, it's basically just talking about um, a new cohort. So we knew that the kind of... Uh, the bottom probably quartile a bit more was hurting uh, with interest rates more than, than other people because of disposable income. And it hurts them, you know, unfortunately, uh, not to the same amount, generally speaking. Um, but uh, it starts talking about how there's a new kind of cohort of solid middle to upper income callers coming through in significant numbers, um, now relying on credit cards and loans for family and friends to pay uh, later schemes or pay back their um, utility bill, pay for the fuel or pay for the home loan. Um, a lot of avoiding obligations to the tax office at the moment um, and deferring the utility and council rate bills. Um, and under insurance is becoming a problem as well. And there's a few stats in here. Um, the Australian housing deposits uh, actually plunged by $6 billion, the first time recorded in 16 years. Now, I do not have what the housing deposit rate is or how much it is. So I don't know what that $6 billion represents. Um, so it may just be some theoretics, uh, theoretical, kind of not theoretical, theatrics. Um, but at the same time, first fall recorded in 16 years, very excited with that. Um, and just talking about kind of the, uh, the polling at the moment. So there was a Roy Morgan poll that went out um, and it's stating at the moment that one point. Five million homeowners um, are at the risk of mortgage mortgage stress, which is um, basically repayments between a uh, quarter and a half of income, and that was only at six hundred forty-two thousand a year ago. Um, and seventy-two percent of households said they're worse off financially than they were a year ago. Um, so there's a bit of you know confidence is down with hurt going on, um, but at the same time, Australian property market. Up, oh, read the other day, uh, Bloomberg in America actually had a uh, a whole session on the Australian property market, what not to do, <laughs> which I that found is, uh, that is um, unbelievable that it's up in these tough mate. circumstances. But uh, yeah, no, well, like, that's where like you never guess what's going to happen. But uh, the Bloomberg, uh, I shared it with my family because. Uh, Someone in my family said, "Oh, look, you know, housing prices aren't going down as you probably thought." And uh, there's a there's a whole Bloomberg article on YouTube. If you Google why Australia's housing crisis is a warning for the world, it's actually a, a full Bloomberg documentary about uh, you don't want to get in this situation that we're in at the moment. Just while we're on this, so just coming from yields, coming from the Australian picture, let me give a few more data points out of America. And then we'll talk about the rumors we heard about yeah. some of their some of their big banks. So 
Um, obviously, situation different here to there, but I did see a statistic on the St. Louis Fred, the St. Louis Fed. Yeah, you know the one that does, all the, that does all the great graphs. Yeah, yep. but there's a St. Louis website that's got the amazing graphs yep. on all sorts of economic data points. Um, I saw this chart where it was showing that of the small banks in America, so excluding the largest hundred by asset, and you got to remember, like America's got like four and a half thousand banks. Four and a half thousand to get. Yeah, more. So like excluding the top 100, but the rest, the credit card delinquency rate is the highest it's ever been at 7.5%. Um, so that's that's going... So I know we talked about credit card delinquency rates last episode or the episode before, I believe, but I that believe was a good stat because that's, um, that's excluding the top 100 and looking at the other 4,400. Um, that's right. Yeah, and that look... That's pretty much, you know, about three or four episodes ago, we talked about um, there's a lot of data coming out of Australia around exactly that, which is personal debt from credit cards, personal loans, or pay later schemes. Um, and that had topped out as well to the average average being above 20000 per person um, in Australia. So it looks like, you know, the data points, at least. These things are the highest they've ever been. You've got more people ringing up the... Um, the helpline around stress <laughs> again, it's not saying that the world's falling apart, it's just saying to be aware of 10 year yields, higher interest rates for longer. But look, Aussie property market up for other factors. So, you using not... that term, you're using that term then, not the end of the world or uh, akin to what you just said. Serendipitous going into this rumor about the banks, though, because uh, <laughs> they're saying end of the world. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, this will make the uh, this will make the global financial crisis look like a, a cakewalk because we, we, you and I, came across some news, um, mm. and also shout out to my 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 friend Frank, uh, who's the one that put me onto this as well. So, Thanks, Frank. U.S. yeah, U.S. Treasuries, uh, as we said, like if if they they're going up, there's some analysis showing that if they hit five percent, there's a few of their big what what we would call their big four banks, and I mean Bank of America and Citi who are in a bit of trouble if it gets to 5%. So they reckon that a Bank of America, if it hits that, will be 45 times levered, levered I should say. Oh. So their credit their credit risk is uh, getting up there. And part of the reason is sort of born out of the last financial crisis. You and I were talking about how, as a result of the financial crisis, um, these large banks were forced to hold what is called like higher quality capital and US treasuries fall in that basket of high quality capital. But then obviously they've got all sorts of other um, loan books like commercial real estate, which we know is in trouble, personal loans, credit card, et cetera. And as those lower quality assets are moving in the wrong direction for these banks, they're having to draw down on their high quality capital. And we might see a scenario similar to what you and I have discussed about Silicon Valley Bank, a signature bank, or in the UK where a bank like Bank of America uh, if rates continue to go higher, might be forced to um, mark to market, like sell their bonds at a loss, mm. and that could cause a huge spiral uh, unless they unless they can get liquidity from somewhere else. So, and 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 that sort of begs the question: like, can the government bail them out? If they bail them out, it's going to be, be counterproductive to everything they're trying to achieve with rates higher for longer. And then we get back into a conversation about you know unlimited quantitative easing and hyperinflation so it's an interesting thing but um 
There's a lot of complicated pieces to puzzle because, I mean, at the same time, yeah. the Fed's come out, I think, in America, saying that they might look at pausing their $60 billion worth of treasury sales each month because the, the Fed is obviously, with quantitative easing, everybody, the Fed has been issuing and buying Fed securities to fund things. And they've been unwinding their balance sheet, which means selling um in a time of interesting economic times, but they've been selling US treasuries into the market. And so what Arnie was saying was if these banks are forced to sell treasuries into the market at higher rates because of lower quality assets coming through with delinquency, if you add in the Fed adding $60 billion worth of sales a month, you know, the prices of these assets also go down, they're going to start taking hits on them. So if the Fed does... um. You've also had recently, I saw this article, this uh, this headline, Arnie, and I'm going to pull it up. Brick countries selling treasuries. I read it the other day. Yeah, so, so far, yeah. Let me should, open up this. I should say the reason, while you're finding that, Brad, I should say the reason we're discussing this is because if those yields keep going up, as we've sort of been discussing the theme of this conversation, you're going to see equities and home prices get absolutely wrecked. Because if we have a systemic failure in a huge bank, and I say systemic, if, if, if there's contagion risk uh, and you start to see these large banks fail, like mm. a Lehman moment or worse, um, asset prices is just going to get absolutely crushed and tumble and they're going to come down and then that's just going to put everyone in, in a really bad position for a, for a while. But yeah, sorry, go on. No, no. So uh, the BRIC countries together have dumped $123 billion worth of US treasuries this year at an average rate of about $20 billion a month recently. So you've got the Fed dumping 60, the BRIC countries dumping 20, you know, you've got $80 billion a month of treasury. Someone's going to buy these, obviously the price goes down and down and down. And, down. Um, and then if you've got some delinquency rates, the US banks also even like for instance we've been talking about US commercial loans for a while um and you know buildings just handing back keys because they're unable to refinance um and the banks are going to be taking hits so in America it doesn't work like a lot of other places in the world you can literally just hand the keys to the bank and be like done with that building mate imagine that like you know <laughs> top tier there. building <laughs> in the middle of New York you're like look I bought it for 600 can't get refinanced. Enjoy your building, bank, and the and the uh, the debt that comes with it. Um, interesting place. So, look, I think um, we were going to dive into a few other things today, but I think that's a um, pretty good summary about what's going on. There's a lot there, um, but it's all intertwined. I think that's the, uh, the key. And um, and if you've got any questions about kind of or thoughts or opinions on what we've talked about today. Um, feel free to get us where they get us, Arnie. At Money in the Tank on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and X.com. Boomski. Have you got any rapid fire, my man? Uh, I didn't have rapid fire per se, but there were a few items I did want to discuss with you quickly. So one yeah. was... Um, Some rapid fire discussions. Well, yeah, like it's less than rapid fire. Let's just call it normal fire. <laughs> no, okay, uh, no rapid fire. <laughs> Intel, this is, this, is, this is one that interests me and I think it might interest you too. So Intel is trying to make their Altera unit into a standalone business. They want to spin it off and seek an IPO. Did you hear about... So this is their this is their programmable chip division. Did you hear about mm. this? Yeah, I mean, they've been getting a lot of um, what I call 
<laughs> um, slow over. <laughs> so everyone's going to obviously NVIDIA for their chips. And anyone that can't get the NVIDIA chips is then flowing over to Altera. Because obviously AI is so important at the moment and everyone's trying to get their hands on the high-end programmable kind of GPUs that are doing the kind of calculations that, AP, that AI requires, OML as well. And um, the ships are nowhere to be seen. And I guess the there's a rush on the market at the moment um, for anyone to get any of these chips because if you can't get the chips, you can't do the work. And there's so much funding and money getting thrown at people, <laughs> left, right, and centre, small, big, and medium, um, basically in your hand on the chip. So I think, look, I haven't looked into it that much, but I think it's a smart play by Intel to basically why the hype's going on, <laughs> get a division that previously was lacklustre because its chips are lacklustre compared to the NVIDIA chips um, and get a very high price for a division internally <laughs> um, that they can then reinvest both into their foundry businesses and that rest and the rest of which are going to be their core. So I look at it just like a smart play for the moment. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's the, and the other the other major competitor is AMD as well. To a lesser extent, though, yeah, on the AI, AI stuff. On the AI stuff, yes, you're right. But um, yeah. So just on the AI, so it's it's kind of like um, obviously on the consumer side of business, normal business side, yes. Um, but on these programmable chips, it actually goes um, Nvidia then Intel. Um. But Intel, the Altera chips are like, let me just say it again, a lot less than the NVIDIA, but it's just because there isn't enough NVIDIA ones out there. Anybody wanting to start a project are like, well, it's better than nothing. Grab it. And so they're getting record sales. Uh, so why it's hot sell, I mean, it's a it's a pretty good play, I think. Oh, Perry, it down. Staying, well, staying on theme, I was going to say the ARM IPO. So, um, you know, is the architects or developers or the licenses of... Uh, CPUs, um, not, not, completely it. not completely the same, but related industry. So yeah, so they IPO'd and they they had a bit of hype initially, and then they struggled. What their current price is fifty one fifty seven. Basically, what they got IPO for fifty one. Yeah. Um, so look, thoughts on the IPO because you also had uh, Instacart, I think, and another yeah. one. Uh, I think there's three IPOs from memory. Um, stock. Okay, probably three. There was three tech IPOs. More. <laughs> oh, so you I don't was... like Birkin? You don't like the Birkins? <laughs> uh, I don't know enough about the Birkins to probably talk about them. That's the problem. Um, except for my mate Nick has horrible blue Birkenstocks. Um, that I, I tease him regularly about. Um, Clavi- was it Clavio? Clavio? Is that the one you're talking about? I'm having a read now about ones that have just IPO. But basically, three. Fire. All the IPOs had the same characteristics to them, which was. A low amount of supply, you're getting huge hedge funds, which were decabillion dollar hedge funds getting allocations of like five million. So it was like insignificant to them. Uh, what happened was low supply, a bit more demand. So they created fake demand on the day, went up to 85 bucks. Literally anybody withholding just dumped it because they all had like, they had no um, like wrap up time frames because of these, the low supply, not really huge pegged institutions behind them. Um, and it happened all, all three. And so you had uh, venture funds come out telling startups that uh, it is not IPO season again, basically. Uh, so, you know, in my community, you had uh, the VCs come out basically telling everybody to uh, bunker up for at least another 12, 18 months and they'll test it again. 
Right, it's uh, it's yeah, it's a bit of a bleak picture, and it sort of begs the question: like, why are they? I don't know why they thought there would be a, a good right. time to to IPO. But I mean, if you got to go, you got the market surprise. Yeah, market surprise, and that's the thing. I think, like with the housing market in Australia, like it surprises. Sometimes things just you don't get it, but it works. And if it worked, they'd dump more out there, but it didn't. So there's actually still a fair amount of money, like like LP money. All locked up with VCs and can't get out. I, from a VC kind of startup scene person, it's going to be a bloodbath for the next 12, 18 months. Because there's so many companies that need an IPO or need a raise that are near the end of their uh, their capital. And uh, you got like unicorns falling down left, right, center at the moment. So, unicorn season, just go out there with your archery bow and grab yourself it's a horn. A- I'm a little bit excited by one particular small niche aspect of this discussion. And it's because I don't know if you recall, but like back in 2020, 2021, I was invested in a SPAC, PSTH, that ended up making a deal for UMG, but it fell through with the American regulators uh, because it was listed on like the Euronext exchange as opposed to an American one. And they had other issues. Like they wanted to only use part of the, um, uh, the the money pool and then use the rest for another for another acquisition. So there was all sorts of issues that the regulator didn't like. But as a result of that, and and I should say, PSTH was run by PSH Pershing Square Holdings, and the head of Pershing Square Holdings is Bill Ackman. So if you haven't kept up with the news, what what in a nutshell, what basically happened with that was they tried to get they returned all the capital, and then everyone who wasn't a holder, um of the record date, they distributed some securities called what they call Sparks. So special purpose acquisition rights, uh, SPARs, I should say, for a company, which is like a spark. So it differs from a SPAC a little bit. Uh, And the whole point of it was that Ackman and his hedge fund wanted to be able to have a longer time period, like a 10, 20 year time period where they could offer people who were part of PSDH the right to buy into their acquisition of choice, but with no opportunity cost. So I now hold these rights for nothing only because I was part of PSDH. And if an opportunity presents itself over the next 10 years, which because these are now traded over the counter, I'll be able to, if I want to purchase stock in a... What what have they decided? Well, well, um, it's it's interesting because just recently there's been a lot of buzz about Bill Ackman saying, is there any, like on, on X.com, et cetera, it's been reported in Reuters a couple of times and they've done an explainer about how a spark differs from a SPAC. But he basically put the call out and said, anyone that wants to IPO or go public, consider going through us with spark. These are the benefits to you. And uh, we are, and they've got a significant, te- technically. What's the deal like, size? Say again. What's the deal size? Well, I was about to say, technically they've got, like a scalable deal size because the way the spark is built is it can be changed. So it can be up to anything really. Like it well, what was be... the deal size for the perishable holdings order was perishing? PCH PCH was I think it was four or five billion at a twenty dollar nav. This what? one is scalable. So it could be ten dollar to forty dollar to fifty dollars. I'll let you guys buy a hammer tech for uh ten bill. Well contact uh Contact Ackman and Pierce, hey. mate, because he's looking. He's looking. So <laughs> is he out looking? We, we can say that as a joke, but why not? Why not? Just put the email out to him, mate, or hit him up on x.com. But um, Darn. no, it's interesting like- because 
And the, and the one thing I wanted to mention about this was he, I've heard a rumor and I can't find this substantiated, but I think he floated a rumor that he would consider a, track, uh, a transaction with Elon Musk for or X. Of, of, of X.com. So <laughs> Elon buys it, takes it private. Bill Ackman said he would consider taking it back public at the right price. So imagine, <laughs> imagine if, imagine if after all of this, I get the option to buy a little chunk of uh, X.com. Anyway. <laughs> and, what Elon, and what Elon building. There we go. There we go. 50-50 for today. 50-50? Yeah. Uh, you got one or? I was going to say, travel one. Would you rather fly Melbourne to Fiji for a holiday or Melbourne to another destination that is five hours away? Bali's, Bali and Fiji are almost identical distances from Melbourne. What is Bali? Oh, it's approximately, they're approximately six hours flights. But I but, believe yeah. that's because of the time. I think that's because of the time difference, maybe with Bali. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know, I know Fiji is only just under five or five. Um, on the way back, it's about 5.20. Arnie, Bali? Bali or Fiji? Oh, just for the flight, it's such a hard question because they're both great. I like. There's no differentiator. I'd go to either. Uh, I am flying to Bali, though, on the 24th of this month, so I'm just going to say nice. Bali. So there you go. Bali's your answer. Uh, where are you are going? <laughs> Uh, we're going to Nusa Dua, which I've I've been to Bali Beautiful. a few times. But I've I've never stayed at Nusa Dua. I've done uh, Sanua. It's a nice place, I've mate. Done... Yeah, you like it there? Yeah, I did Revivo there in um in June. It was beautiful. What are you saying? I love Bali, man. Uh, I forget. Actually, for... like Kate organised that. I forget the name of the hotel. There's <laughs> but, nice places um... around there. Some really nice places. Yes, yeah, I've never stayed at Nusa Dua, but I've I've always enjoyed Sanua. I enjoyed Ubud. I forget the other one I stayed at. It's a bloody good place. Love Bali. I haven't been there Bloody good place. Long. Both are amazing. What, Both are amazing. what, what are you choosing? You choo- you're probably going to I'm going to choose Fiji because I reckon uh, not enough people have been over a year yet. And if you do end up going to Fiji, get out of the Yasawas and the Coral Coast. Everybody, I can just tell you, there is so much to see in the east of this country. Get a flight to Savu Savu or out to the islands at Tabuni or out there. There is unlimited amount of beautiful uh, places to go see. Manta Ray is just frolicking left, right, and center. Big tuners everywhere. Marlin. It's just, it's crazy. Definitely and the scuba diving, if you're a scuba diver, diver, the scuba diver is, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the best in the world. Beats Indonesia. That's wow. So, okay. Because it hasn't been, hasn't been wrecked. So the amount of diving opportunities over here, even if you just go to a normal reef, or it's, I mean, it's got the third largest barrier reef in the world, the Astrologue, um, and then it's got a whole bunch of other stuff like Rainbow Reef and uh, Namina, which is a national park. So for divers, it is a uh, amazing place. That's cool. Anyway, honey, love it. Love right. seeing you. Love Good talking chat. to you. Love tankers. talking to you, man. I hope, yeah, look after yourself. Cheers, tankers. And we'll have Jolly back on deck soon. This week. All right, tankers. Have a good one. See you, mate. Bye.